This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. And welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. That's it. Qualification for Qatar 2022 is confirmed. The World Cup next year, England will be there. Coming up on this episode, we will be looking back on the last set of World Cup qualifiers that England have been playing. They were, of course, Albania at home and San Marino away. And I'll be joined by England blogger Matt Astbury. But before we do that, I just want to say, as always, thank you very much for tuning in. Not just this time, but any previous episodes as well you may have listened to. I know one or two of you do. Uh, I've seen the listening stats. It's something something I'm quite proud of. Um, Thank you. Uh, As I've previously mentioned, uh, I have got a few future episodes lined up one of which recently involved me taking on an eight-hour round car journey to speak with a former England player. Uh, I really hope you'll enjoy them. They are coming up very soon. We've also got the next in the series of England managers. You may have heard previous episodes where we spoke about Sir Walter Winterbottom and Sir Alf Ramsey with their respective biographers. Don Revy was next. I have spoken with the biographer of Don Revy's book. And that episode will be coming very soon. It's another episode in our Three Lions podcast managerial series, I guess is the unofficial title. And also with a place in the 2020 World Cup assured in Qatar, the Premier League have announced their fixture list to accommodate the World Cup of Qatar 2022. We'll be taking a look at all of that and how that uh, comes into play later on in this episode. Also, the last podcast I mentioned about potential changes going forward. I think Gareth put me in my place by bringing in Emil Smith-Rowe, also Conor Gallagher, into the squad. Uh, I also said both Harrys were out of form, didn't I? Harry Kane, Harry Maguire... Oops, what do I know? Now, before we catch up with Matt Astbury and have a chat about the international break that the senior men were involved in, I thought we'd just run through some of the results from our young Lions over this same international break. Uh, the under-18s, they were involved in a Pinatar tournament. Um, I had to look into this one. Pinatar uh, is a stadium uh, in Mercia in Spain. Uh, so this tournament was played at the Pinatar Arena in Spain. Four nations involved, four under-18 nations. Uh, England opened up with a loss to the Netherlands, losing by three goals to two. They then drew with Belgium, nil-nil, but won 5-4 on penalties, and then beat Portugal by two goals to nil. The under-19s, they drew nil-nil against Switzerland in an under-19 Euro qualifier. And the under-20s, the men's under-20s, Portugal beat us by two goals to nil. Then the under-21s in a Euro qualifying match at Burnley, we played the Czech Republic. Uh, We came out of that 3-1 winners, 
Anthony Gordon scoring two and Florin Balogun uh, scoring the other in a 3-1 win. Puts a second in Group G, which is two points behind the Czech Republic. And then we lost to Georgia in a friendly uh, by three goals to two. Three goals to two. Right, time to bring in Matt Astbury and chew the fat over the games against Albania and San Marino. Let's welcome back to the podcast, Manchester City and England fan and general sports blogger. Welcome to Matt Asprey again. Hello, mate. You're right. Yes, thanks, Russ. How are you, mate? Yes, all good. All, all jolly and happy now. All this qualification malarkey is done. We pretty much know. We knew what was going to happen once the draw was made, and it's been confirmed. Now we are we're going to the World Cup in Qatar 2022, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, it's nice to get it over the line finally. I mean, we should have done it in the last international window, but then came that frustrating performance against uh, Hungary at Wembley. So, yeah, no, expect to get it over the line. Great, great to get it over and done with. And even though one of the games was against a team which which many people questioned their place in the qualifying system, we did it in some style. Yeah, didn't we just? Obviously, we're talking San Marino there. 10-0 against San Marino. That was the first time, apparently, we've hit double figures since... Was it something like 1946 when we beat America by 10 goals to nil? It's it's something that's never happened in my lifetime. No, I don't think it's happened for a lot of people who are watching the game. I mean, there was uh, comments made about ITV scoreboards, which I thought were quite funny. It's like, even ITV didn't miss his 10 goals, so I'm not surprised. I mean, it should have been 12, really, with some of the refereeing, but it was no surprise that England won 10-0, and that's very weird to say with a scoreline like that. Yeah, no, you're right. Well, we'll get on to uh, San Marino in a moment. To be honest, I'd forgotten about that draw with Hungary at Wembley last month. Now you've uh, brought it back into my mind. But um, no, Wembley was was where England played their, their last home game of the year on Friday the 12th of November. Albania were the opponents. In a game I, I mentioned it on Twitter at half-time, I couldn't remember a more sort of dispirited or niggly side as Albania um, and uh, it's a shame because I mean I, I don't really remember that mentality from the first game that we played over there and and I don't think their sort of position in the group kind of justified it I was, I was a little bit I was a little bit sort of miffed by by their attitude to it what was your take on it? I think the thing was that Albania played, were playing England at the wrong time um, the England team that night had a point to prove. I mean, after that hungry game where Southgate played a very attacking lineup and they weren't very good, let's be brutally honest, mm. they weren't good at all. I left the stadium frustrated that night. So that game, I think, you know, Southgate basically read the squad, the riot act um, during the preparation towards the game. And uh, yeah, the team went out there with a point to prove. I think Albania just amazed by what they came up against. I mean, again, the away game is different. Obviously, there's all the problems with the pitch. It's a smaller stadium it was in, while England, you know, they've been to a lot of success at Wembley uh, this year and they were just unplayable. I mean, Albania were trying to play as well. They tried to play against it and didn't sit behind the ball. And obviously, when you go to try and play against a team of England's quality, they're going to go and punish you. So I think it was well, a combination of Albania's tactics and also just being the team had a point to prove on Friday night. 
Yeah, uh, fair enough. Uh, I mean, it was 5-0 win, all those goals coming in the first half. And and with that, it ensured we only required a point away to San Marino. Uh, I mean, you mentioned the the team. He changed it around from that game against Hungary. Uh, we had two holding midfielders in Phillips and Henderson. Uh, Henderson was in because basically Rice had pulled out uh, with an illness. And and to his credit, he he ran things from the middle. We had... Two attacking wing-backs in Reese James and Chilwell, which meant we had a back three of Walker, Stones and Maguire. Uh, and then up front, we had Foden, Kane and Sterling. Of course, Jordan Pickford in goal. 5-0 by half-time. It, as you say, it was a, a fantastic first half. Fantastic game, really. Uh, Maguire opening the scoring with a header um, and, and then sort of celebrated with uh, with his fingers in his ears. I couldn't see that from where I was sitting at Wembley. Uh, it was a little bit too far away for me. But uh, yeah, he uh, he certainly got certainly got a little bit of maybe unwarranted stick for that, didn't he? Yeah, but I think it's because the England dressing room for once is more, po- more positive than the club one. Um, <laughs> so again, Harry Maguire just seems to be at ease in the, um, in the England camp. And obviously the boss guy at Manchester United at the moment, he's been... Uh, get a lot of criticism from pundits and fans. So I think the uh, England um, break, the international break has actually done him some good. It's just, re- I think it might reset him. So hopefully, you know, taking away my loyalties in club football, hopefully uh, this recent window is just reset and he can go back to playing as good as we know he can play. So yeah, I think Hamburg uh, as well. I mean, he's got a, he's a, someone who likes to have a bit of a laugh as well. So you know, and all the team were joking around with him. So, I mean, you know, it's just a bit of fun at the end of the day. And it was great just to see him score. Yeah, it was good. I mean, frustratingly from me, as I say, where where I was sitting, all the goals came up the other end of the pitch for me. Harry Kane got himself on uh, on the score sheet. Then he got another goal and, and then scored a, his third for a hat-trick right on bang on half time. And, and I think they said it was the perfect hat-trick, wasn't it? One with... Was it one with the left, one with the right, and one with his head? I yes, think. yeah, yeah. The one, the one on half time, the the scissors kit was was amazing. Yeah, again, it's it seems to me that this England break has reset a lot of players. I mean, Harry Kane has just been dire for Tottenham this season, and then come the uh, come this international break, and look at him, he's scoring goals left, right, and centre. So again, it might be just the reset he needs for good form again we need him to be in good goal scoring form because the way this uh, year and that's going it's not going to be long until the World Cup comes around and uh, we're going to need him firing all cylinders and it could potentially be one of his last chances to win some international silverware so no it was good to see Harry Kane get back on the uh, score sheet to have a hat-trick and it's probably something he needed and hopefully that's the really like lifted his spirits obviously San Marino which we'll touch on later he's scored a fair few goals but I'm more I think the ones against Albania are a bit more important yeah, I'm looking now to see yeah, how the way Spurs go forward with Harry Kane now and, and under Conte as well. He's he's probably, as you say, going to get right. It's just just the confidence booster that he that he needed. And and I don't know who Spurs have got next in the uh, in the Premier League, but I guess you could put a couple of quid on Harry Kane getting back in amongst the goals there. Uh, but in amongst the goals in that first half was as well Jordan Henderson, which was once I'd seen the replay on the telly, it was some great little interplay. Um, with Henderson and he nicked through um, and got his second England goal. Yeah, he doesn't score for a while and then he scores two international goals in the same year. So fair play like to him. But, yeah, so um, 
I mean, he was outstanding against Albania. And I think he is a player that can quite often go underappreciated with England. Um, I think when he's not playing, it's quite obvious. I mean, Rice and Phillips are a great combination, but let's say if none of them two are playing, then Southgate puts another set of midfielders in and Henderson isn't one of them. You know he's when he's not there. So, But I'm really glad he got a goal. It was a good little goal as well. So no, I'm really happy for Henderson and I'm glad he's, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting that battle of midfield now because now Henderson's performed well in this past window. It's no nowhere position is safe now, I don't think, in the uh, England team. They were discussing it on the TV on Monday night. Uh, once she qualified, it goes up a notch in terms of players who want to get in the World Cup squad because then, because there's no competitive games until those nation league ones in the summer. Southgate's going to beat their experiment with all sorts of players. So I think Henderson has got himself a he's got himself a head start. I think on a secure uh, playing seat to Qatar. Yeah, oh, certainly without a doubt. I think he'll uh, he'll be involved there, injuries permitting. Um, but yeah, he's he's an integral part of the England setup, and I think probably just actually behind Raheem Sterling with the with the most amount of England caps in the the current setup. Uh, and speaking of, of of Sterling as well, I thought he had a uh, a decent game against Albania. Done everything but scoring again. He's another one who seems thrive off these international breaks again as I've said before the word reset seems to have been working with a lot of players and Sterling is one of them he seems to he does love playing with that England shirt on obviously the Euros he was completely different to his club form as they watches week in week out um, and yeah I mean it's he, he just does a bit of everything I think he's a player who who could with the position you put in he's a player who could easily do the minimal but he does the maximum he does the maximum effort so he will come back and defend and he you know, when he doesn't score a goal, you do feel sorry for him, but he always puts a shift in. So Sterling is, you know, obviously Callum Phillips got the player of the year for this year, but I think uh, Sterling was a close second. And if he does it again, plays like he did this summer and this uh, past international season next year and in the World Cup, I think he's going to be, he's going to go down as an England legend. Yeah, well, it'd be interesting to see what what January brings for Raheem Sterling. As And obviously, as you, yourself, a Manchester City fan, uh, there is talk of him maybe moving away from the Etihad, and and maybe that that will be good with with your England hat on. Maybe that will do him a favour. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's the only problem now. I think I think Sterling realizes he's getting into his peak years, and when you're in a Pep Guardiola team, there's a lot of rotation going on, especially with the amount of competition City in with Champ. Well, I think now starting from this week, he's more or less twice a week playing, so he's not going to be playing every week. And as I said, he's reaching more he's come towards the peak well what you know experts predict to be the peak of your career with you know that late 20s slot so if he does move away I think it'll be sad but also I think as you did say it might do him well to good because he'll be playing first team football a lot more regularly and uh, it might mean he gets his uh, goal scoring boots back on so if he does move away I'll be sad but again there's a lot more positives in terms of the international side that um, I think he could benefit from. Well, with three points in the bag against Albania, we only needed a point uh, to confirm qualification for the World Cup. San Marino were the opponents, I think, if I read this correctly, I think prior to the the game on Monday night, I think England had scored 42 goals uh, against San Marino in all the games that we played against them. Obviously, there's the the one that we all know about um, that they scored against us. In between sort of flying out uh, to San Marino, I think there were four players 
that pulled out of the out of the squad, which meant it was there a few changes come in to uh, the starting eleven, but also Connor Gallagher of Crystal Palace or, or on loan to Crystal Palace from Chelsea was brought in from the under twenty ones. What what did you think of that? I think it's it was I was I was really happy to see him um, into the see him go to the full England team. I think he's a great player. Um, since he's gone over to Crystal Palace, he's really come into his own. Uh, when he when Crystal Palace played City a few weeks ago, he was unreal, and his goal to make it two 0 was just classed. I do really rate him, and also because he's in my uh, fantasy team as well, uh-huh. so I've got a bit of a got a bit of a soft spot for him. But no, I think he deserved it. I think we were all a bit shocked when he wasn't in the the full squad, but obviously, you know, the opportunity arose. He was brought in, and he, I think he made a pretty good good account of himself. So. No, I was really glad to see him uh, start. It's the same with uh, Emil Smith Rowe as well. He played exceptional over both games. And again, we know one in San Marino, but regardless, they've got to put their hat in the ring for the final squad for the World Cup next year. So the players who came in, um, it was great to see. And also, one thing I would like to point out, it's great to see the young players really cherish getting those England, those Red England caps. I mean, they're putting them on the, like they've been putting them on social media. The England guys have and to see how much it means to the likes of Aaron Ramsdale, Emil Smith Rowe and Conor Gallagher is just uh, great to see because I think if you went back a few years, I don't think there would be that much emotion from the players who from players who've been given their cap. While now it seems because the environment Southgate has created, any player who comes through and gets their cap is really appreciative and is really enjoying the environment. So no, it was also great to see the young players that were brought in cherish the moment rather than just go. I'm just going to have a bit of a jolly. They really cherish the moment, the opportunity they've been given. Yeah, no, I agree. Nicely put. Yeah, I've seen those pictures and and they are great to see. One thing actually that that did sort of, which made me think about, I remember years ago, you'd see players with their, their caps for each individual game. And now... The England social media team are putting up these pictures with the uh, with the guys receiving their. I think it's like the legacy cap as well. It's got their their legacy number on it, which is is the red one. Which, which you say they're all really proud to receive. And there was the I saw an interview with Aaron Ramsdale how he's sort of been working really hard um, to to get to this point and, and sort of not tears in his eyes, but he, he was glaring. It was more this. joy. It was joy, wasn't yeah, it? It was joy. joy for this, for this cap. But I mean, do they still get individual caps for individual games now? That's what I couldn't understand. I don't know. They were discussing this on the TV actually, because they were talking about, I think it was before the San Marino game. They were looking back at Emil Smith Rowe getting his on Friday night. And I think, I know Roy Keane said in the island, if you're in the island team, if you're in there every season, you get a cap for the season. Okay. So, so I don't know if England do something similar. I mean, I think a few years ago it used to be every game because players used to, former England players used to show like just an abundance of caps they got. So maybe they've changed the system, which I think is good because it means I think you cherish it more rather than uh, rather than you know you've got another cap for playing San Marino for example it's like well what we're going to do with that so I think the uh, I think if they change the to this legacy cap with like you know really nice decorated red cap rather than just a standard blue one with the three line shield on I think it's a good idea yeah no it's, it's a nice touch and, and as you say the videos are, have gone down really well so that starting 11 for San Marino as we've mentioned Aaron Ramsdale he got his first cap Trent Alexander-Arnold because Saka Harry Maguire, Connor Cody, Tyrone Mings, Calvin Phillips, Jude Bellingham, 
Harry Kane, Phil Foden uh, and Emil Smith-Rowe. Just as the Albania game did, Harry Maguire opened the uh, opened the scoring and in doing so, I think, became England's highest scoring defender with with seven goals. Yeah, I mean, as I said, there's not much I can uh, add to that, really. I mean, Maguire's just been a past year in this break and he deserved it as well. I mean, he's been the poster boy of this England team, along with a few other players since that 2018 World Cup and his headed goals and that have earned him a basically a cool hero status. So, no, I think he has a, even though his club form might not be great, I think in the eyes of uh, fans when they wear, uh, football fans, when they put their England hats on, they, uh, they've got nowhere problems with Harry Maguire, yeah. especially that penalty against Italy. I think that's going to be, when he uh, retires, that's going to be my standout moment from his England career, is that, that penalty against Italy, smashing the camera up. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then there was the there was the own goal. Um, Bakaya Saka had a, a shot which which deflected wickedly off the uh, the San Marino defender. That was after fifteen minutes, uh, and then twenty five minutes. Harry Kane got in on the act again. Phil Foden put in a a uh, which looks like a fantastic overhead kick, um, and the the San Marino defender had his arm up in the air for whatever reason. I've no idea. Penalty awarded. Kane steps up, scores it, then scores another, then scores another penalty, and then shortly just before half time, in in sort of like a a similar way that Jordan Henderson went through the defence against Albania, Harry Kane with some deft touches went through the, the San Marino defence to make it six nil at half time. I mean, it was done and dusted by Harry Maguire's goal, but yeah, six 0 at half time was was great to go into, and and I wondered what sort of changes they Gareth Southgate would make come half time. Yeah, I mean, they brought on Tammy Abraham, Conor Gallagher. I'm just going. Through, I've got the lineups off on my uh, on my screen now. Where Harry Maguire came off, John Stones came on, uh, Ben Chilwell, Reese James. I mean, it's the sort of. I mean, there was no surprise that he made a load of changes, uh, but. Yeah, I mean, the game was done and dusted. The problem was, it was watching it, even though we know, obviously, some of are a great team, it did start to get to, to a point where about four or five, I was like, this is a bit embarrassing, this is a bit tough to watch. Like, mm. you, feel, like you do feel a bit sorry for some reason, a bit subjected to it. But yeah, I think Gareth Southgate made the right changes. But one player that did stand out to me as well um, was G Bellingham. I think he, I know as, we, as I know it's San Marino, but I thought he put in a good account for himself as well. And that, I always keep forgetting he's also in that midfield battle for England because obviously he didn't really feature that much of the Euros. So he sort of like fades out of my memory. But, you know, that that central midfield position for England is so deep. I mean, it's going to be, there's going to be one big name that's going to miss out on, on a, in a spot for the World Cup. So it'll be interesting to see that midfield battle. But I mean, I mean, a lot of that team that finished the game, well, that started the game, they're all pretty young as well. So that's going to be an England team for the next few years or so. So the future is certainly looking bright. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Jude Bellingham was was so unfortunate to be caught out by VAR for his effort. I think at the time it would have made it, might have made it nine, eight or nine nil, uh, but it was chalked off by VAR. But Emil Smith-Rowe, Scored his first goal for England on his second appearance. Great interplay with with him and his Arsenal teammate, Bakaya Saka, who between them over the, the two games have, have done really well. Then, unfortunately, San Marino went down to 10 men, which which was just, as you say, that it was embarrassing for them and, and it, it almost became embarrassing to watch um, as these goals went in. I must admit, I, I didn't really cheer when, when the last few went in because it was just... 
Oh, there's another. There's another. You can see them coming. Uh, Tyron Mings got one. Tammy Abraham got on the score sheet. And then Bakaya Saka with, with 12 minutes to go made it 10. But uh, yeah, all in all, it was uh, a good solid performance. And, and it's cliched to say it, but you can only play what's put in front of you, can't you? Yeah, um, it's just the why the qualifying system works. And obviously, with England such a high ranking, it's very rare that they'll get a d- difficult qualifying group fever, the Euros or the World Cup. So, again, it's what you get when you're high up in the rankings. But the thing is, we play San Marino like every other qualifying campaign. So, it's not even like, you know, we can, I think, like, whenever qualifying draws get made, put somebody on San Marino because England will probably get them at some point. So, yeah, you've just got to play what's in front at the end of the day. But, you know, the problem is when you're playing teams like that, you can't really make a statement as such because everyone expect you expect to play San Marino with the worst team in the world. So, yeah, I just got the job done. That's about it, really. You can't really break it down. Analysis-wise, I mean, ITV were on until about 10 o'clock and when, it, when the game finished up, I was like, what are they going to talk about for 45 minutes? Because it's not going to be even that technical because it's, it's playing like a part-time team. So... Yeah, I noticed ITV when they when they spoke with Gareth Southgate after the game, it did they didn't ask him any question in relation to San Marino. Uh, it was all more sort of England's performance on the night and particular players. Uh, I get the impression that they didn't want to to for Gareth Southgate to have his opinion maybe on San Marino and on the why they're there maybe. Yeah, but I think a lot of managers will have similar opinions, though. So I don't think it's going to be the uh, only one. But I think also if uh, another reason why they probably didn't mention it was because they didn't want to rub it in. <laughs> so, no, I think um, Gareth Southgate won't be the only uh, top-class international manager who will be uh, questioning why they're there. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, so 10-0 it finished, uh, and we finished the group that we're in top 26 points ahead of Poland, who were on 20. Albania on third on 18, Hungary fourth with 17, and then Andorra and San Marino fifth and sixth, respectively. It, I mean, Albania and Hungary gave themselves quite a, quite a good account, really, throughout the, the qualifying games that, that were, were all played, I think, really, didn't they? Yeah, I mean... I was expecting, you know, just England and Poland to run away with it, but Albania did give good, a good account of themselves in the qualifiers, along with Hungary. I mean, when we got drawn against Hungary, I thought this is going to be um, quite tough, obviously, after the Euros, because we were playing Hungary quite close together. There wasn't like a big gap like there was with Poland, for example, where we played Poland on one side of the Euros and we played them again on the other side of the Euros. But Hungary, I thought, gave good account of themselves. I think. Uh, Obviously, I think we were all a bit disappointed with how they played in the home game of Budapest on England beat them 4 0. But then the um the home game at Wembley, obviously as you mentioned before, it was quite a frustrating night. Um I think they did give a good account of themselves then. So I think um it's nice to see some uh, some of the more smaller teams do well. Obviously Hungary seemed to be having this resurgence, this revival in their football international team. So I won't be surprised come next few qualifying campaigns that they're challenging for playoff spots. Yeah, yeah, well worth watching. So we're qualified, we're through, as are Belgium, Croatia, Denmark, France, Germany, Serbia, Spain, Switzerland. 
this is as of time of recording on the uh, Tuesday the 16th. There's a few other qualifying games and groups still to be settled. Uh, it would appear that Brazil are the only other qualified team outside of Europe at the moment, along with Qatar, obviously, as, as hosts. Uh, but the playoffs, they look quite spicy. I think there's three European places left to play for. Again, just at time of recording, those playoff teams, Italy, Portugal, Russia, Austria, North Macedonia, Sweden, Czech Republic, uh, and then two neighbours, Scotland and Wales. These playoffs are going to be, be quite interesting. I think it's the first set of qualifying playoffs that I'm actually might watch properly. I mean, we're going to lose one of two past European champions, most likely Italy or Portugal. Um, I mean, Italy, how they've dropped in there, I do not know. I mean, it just shows how unpredictable that team can be. Mm. Portugal, I mean, they've dropped in through the most dramatic of circumstances, losing to Serbia in the dying seconds in Portugal as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, a little bit of me wants the two home nations to get through because it'd be quite amusing to have basically nearly all of Britain going to the World Cup. But I think these playoffs are going to be really interesting. I think as well, the thing that makes it more entertaining for me and has put my interest is the fact it's all one leg. There's no two legs. So um, obviously Scotland's win against Denmark last night did secure a home leg for them in the semi-finals. So I have to see if Scotland come up against them. But yeah, no, these playoffs, it's sudden death and I'm really looking forward to them. Yeah, so these these playoffs are going to be played end of March next year when it looks like that we'll be having a couple of friendlies, obviously with against none of those teams that we've just mentioned there. But yeah, playoff-wise, that's, that is looking quite exciting. And the other thing I guess we we really ought to to touch on, just going back to San Marino, and it was something that, that ITV gave a, a fair amount of time to uh, in their sort of post-match after they'd sort of wax lyrical about Harry Kane and, and every other England player. They came to a point where they're saying, right, we, we need to talk about San Marino and, and should they be part of the, the qualification campaign or, or situation? And, and I had a quick look back through various other matches in the European qualifying campaign across the all the, the groups. And there's been some real big scores. You go back to, I think it was... Last month, France beat Kazakhstan 8-0. Germany beat Liechtenstein 9-0. Uh, in two games, the, the Netherlands played Gibraltar. The Dutch won 6-0 and 7-0. Germany beat Armenia 6-0. Poland beat San Marino 7-1. Incidentally, San Marino's only goal in this whole qualifying campaign. Belgium beat Belarus 8-0. Denmark beat Moldova 8-0. Do we need to rethink, or do FIFA need to rethink perhaps how qualification is done? Well, it seems to me we're the only, we're one of the only continental associations, I'm talking about UEFA in this instance, that doesn't have a pre-qualifying system. Because I know in Africa they have quite a long qualifying system to get into the FIFA World Cup qualifiers. And yeah. um, I know the Asia Sassociana Association, they too have like a pre-qualifier stage to basically filter out all the small teams. So I think there does need to be a rethink because I think obviously a lot more countries are being made independent in Europe and they're 
now begin to form their own football association, gaining FIFA and UEFA membership. So I think there needs to be some sort of filter in place because we're very lucky we haven't come out of this international break of any major injuries. I mean, it would have been just England's luck in that San Marino game, for example, that one of the a few big players get injured, mate, because of obviously San Marino ain't going to be the most technical of teams. They're going to be putting a few meaty tackles in and the, the quality of the pitch, for example, won't be great. So yeah, I think there does need to be a filter system, but how that works, I don't know. But again, the problem is, is that UEFA do like to promote this football is for all message. So, you know, if they put in a pre-qualifying system in, then the smaller countries will be going, you're going against your messaging and things like that. So I do think it needs a rethink. And I think, you know, I, th- I think a pre-qualifying system would be better. It's going to be expanding the World Cup in years to come. So there's going to be more chance of uh, smaller teams getting to the final tournament anyway. But I think the best way to do it would be, well, I mean, the Nations League is a prime example of how a pre-qualifying system could work because you've got, obviously, the teams in each pool. Of, I don't, I'm not going to try and explain the Nations League, but the teams in each section, they have all a similar ability. So therefore, the matches they play are entertaining and there's going to be a lot more on the line. So, yeah, I think there does need to be a rethink. I just do think there needs to be a pre-qualifying system, but what shape that takes up, I do not know. Yeah, no, I'm I'm of a similar opinion. Whilst it's it's nice for maybe San Marino to play the likes of England, Germany, France every now and then, but when they're being beaten by such huge scores and not really learning a great deal out of it, then and it can't be it can't be good for them. But as you say, like they're part of FIFA, they're part of UEFA, they've got just as much right to to try and qualify as as everyone else does and then i think you chuck sam chuck san marino that sounds horrible doesn't it but if you were to say san marino okay you're going to go into a pre-qualifying uh you're going to play the likes of andorra and belarus armenia on a more regular basis uh it'll probably mean that they won't as a region they won't get the the benefit of two and a half thousand england supporters coming in and spending a bucket load of money in in their area i don't know uh, i i am of the opinion i think that there needs to be some sort of rejig um and these these teams maybe as you say in a nations league type style play each other a little bit more and, and maybe have a, a group pre-qualifying group and that top team then gets the opportunity to to play with the big boys uh, i don't know but yeah I, I think there needs to be something there yeah, I mean, you mentioned the fans. I think the differences again between, for example, UEFA and other continental associations, the fan culture is a lot more passionate. So as you mentioned there with San Marino, the smaller teams, if they get England, they that's going to boost their economy because they know there's going to be 2,000 or 3,000 England fans travelling over regardless. So yeah, I think it's another thing is, is because there is a big travelling culture when it comes to international football as well. So yeah, he's trying to find the right solution and trying to appease everyone, which in football very rarely happens and is a very difficult thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. So putting your uh, putting your crystal ball in front of you, obviously looking forward now about 12 months into the future, where where do you see things going? Are we going into this in the right into the right way into into Qatar twenty twenty two? What do you see? Well, I think the summer is the perfect warm-up because we've got a lot of Nations League fixtures, as I recall. I think we've got quite a few yeah. back-to-back, haven't we? we have. So, 
I mean, depending on the group we get, which I mean, it's going to be a group with some good quality opposition. I think that's going to be a very good warm up. I think the March games will be a bit more of an experimental uh, tactic. Some Southgate, I think there's going to be a lot more names in the squad that we don't expect. I think that's going to be a, bit of a trial for some of the for the likes of Conor Gallagher and Emil Smith Rowe and things like that. So the March games, I'm quite interested in. Obviously, the Summers Nations League, perfect build up and. Um, the only thing that is concerning me is, I think you mentioned it on Twitter as well, on the Three Lions podcast Twitter account, is just the gap between players being released on their clubs and the tournament starting. Obviously, we don't know fully what the dates are yet because I think not all the places have been filled, so we won't know how the how England's groups will look, what the schedule's going to look like. So that's the only thing that's concerning me is that with how relentless nature the Premier League and that is in this country is that some England players could come into this World Cup a bit tired. I know, obviously, the summer tournaments is quite similar, but you've got about a month or so in between, you know, the end of the season in May, unless you're in the Champions League final, for example, then you've only got a few weeks. But, you know, you're still in some sort of rhythm. I'm scared that with how relentless the English football kind of can be in winter, how the players are going to recover and be ready for a World Cup that's unlike any other when it's in December. So... I'm optimistic, but again, I think um, I think we could see a lot younger squad than people think. Actually, I think I think if the younger players really make a case themselves in the in March and in the summer, I think it's going to be a very exciting squad. Yeah, no, I uh, I agree. It's uh, it's certainly going to be sort of uncharted waters with the the Premier League and and England. So it'll be interesting to see, as you say, how that how that pans out prior to the the world cup starting but yeah you're right we've got march friendlies then we've got the nations league four games in june then i think there's a game double header i think in september quite possibly there'll be a friendly around october time i guess maybe in preparation for the world cup which then kicks off uh, in late november plenty to look forward to matt thank you very much for for joining us as always and yeah no doubt we will speak again yeah, no, it's been great. It's great to be back on, and uh, not a bad year for watching England anyway. So it's certainly been, well, in my uh, lifetime, it's certainly been one of the well. It's probably the best summer of following uh, in the best year following England home and away. So now, hopefully, more of the same next year. Let's hope so. Cheers, Matt. Cheers, Russell. Thank you. Thank you very much to Matt Astbury there uh, for taking us through those last two games that England played, the uh, the Albania game and that record-breaking game against San Marino. Don't forget you can find Matt Astbury on Twitter at Astbury Matt. And you can also follow his musings on his own blog, uh, which is, yeah, just search Matt Astbury WordPress. Now, with England qualifying for the Qatar World Cup of 2022, this means some reshuffling of the Premier League fixtures next year. As you probably know, for the first time, the World Cup is being held during November and December of 2022, and not in its usual summer position that we are pretty much accustomed to. With this in mind, the Premier League have had to make some adjustments to the club calendar. They have announced that the start of the season will begin on the 6th of August, which means I guess the Community Shield will be the week before, taking place on the weekend 30th, 31st of July. 
So 16 rounds of Premier League games will be played from the 6th of August up until the 12th and 13th of November. Now bearing in mind, just before this recent international window taking place between the 11th and 16th of November, the Premier League had just finished match week 11. Hmm. Now, the World Cup actually begins on the 21st of November and runs until the 18th of December. And the Premier League will then resume on Boxing Day, Sunday the 26th of December, where it will then run through until the final round of matches taking place on the 28th of May 2023. It's going to be an interesting time seeing how clubs cope, how players cope, Uh, The cup competitions, how are they going to cope? And then I guess there'll be the knock-on effect for the following season. Uh, If season finishes 28th of May, then I'm guessing that the the following season will start a little bit later. Uh, It's quite uncharted territory for us all, really. Hopefully, it all goes well. Uh, But from a personal point of view, I'll be waiting for the return of the summer world cups as we come towards the end of this episode i also want to mention a couple of congratulations um, to marcus rashford and jill scott on their respective mbe awards that were given out recently yeah, you may have seen marcus rashford uh, speaking with prince william where he received his mbe which was recognized for his drive to ensure no child in need went hungry during the pandemic. And of course, Jill Scott, one of the most capped England players of all time. She was awarded her MBE for services to women's football. So well done to both of those. Friday the 12th of November saw the passing of another member of the 1966 World Cup winning squad. Midfielder Ron Flowers, predominantly of Wolverhampton Wanderers, where he made 467 appearances, scoring 33 times between 1952 and 1967. He would later go on to play for Northampton Town and Telford, but for England, he earned 49 caps and scored 10 goals. He made his debut aged 18 in a friendly against France, losing by a goal to nil. But he would go on to play in Chile in the World Cup in 1962, where he scored twice. And from his second cap onwards, he would make 40 consecutive England international appearances, second only to Billy Wright, who made 70. Ron's passing means that there are only six members of the 1966 squad still with us. George Cohen, Sir Bobby Charlton, Sir Jeff Hurst, Ian Callaghan, George Easton and Terry Payne. Ron had the honour of being the first England player to score in the European Championships back in 1962, this against France. Only this year he had been made an MBE by the Queen in the 2021 New Year's Honours. And after his time with Wolves, he opened a sports shop in the city, which still remains to this day. Also, Following the San Marino game, I read of the news that Watford and England fan Kev Norman had passed away whilst in San Marino. I didn't know him, but it's clear plenty did 
from reading social media. And he was highly thought of. By all accounts, Kev hadn't missed an England match since the 90s. Amazing. And we send our condolences to both Ron and Kev's family and friends. Thank you very much for listening. So no more games until the March international break. Hopefully we'll know who and where we'll be playing in the very near future. Don't forget you can listen to all previous episodes of the podcast at your usual podcast provider or at threelionspodcast.com. The show is also on all the social media channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, You can go to YouTube as well. It's on there. Go give it a follow and I'll be back with you very soon for another episode. Stay subscribed and you won't miss it. So until then, look after yourself. Cheers. Cheers.